0: Hello, and welcome back to Inspire the Podcast. Today, we have an amazing, incredible guest who I am very, very excited to share with you all. She is the host of the UK's number one podcast, Law of Attraction Changed My Life. She's also the host of the UK's biggest self-development book club and best-selling author. And she is the most requested person from my own personal social media platforms. Please welcome Francesca Amber. Who yes. she is. Hi, gorgeous. Oh, Francesca, I know it sounds like oh, hearing all your amazing things. I mean, I'm just really getting to know you since you have been the most requested person on my social media. I was like, I need to find out about this girl. Who is she? And you've literally blown me away. I've spent all day listening to your podcast and I just feel like you're my new best friend. Like you're so relatable. You're so real. And I can tell from the knowledge and the relatability and the connectivity that you have, that you have had a journey to get to where you are today.
1: It's (laughs) it's <laughs> been a goddamn journey but i think that's what i've realized is that people don't want you to wait until you're perfect to start yeah they want you to start from the in the words of drake start from the bottom <laughs> no way. that's not what he said but you know what I mean. <laughs> I started from the bottom now i'm here that's what I was <laughs> and people love
0: that transformation they love the metamorphosis so we're here for it yeah absolutely and i would just love for you to share where did it all start? How did you get to where you are today? Let's go back to the beginning. Tell me about baby Francesca.
1: She was beautiful. (laughs) Um, Well, I grew up on Canvey Island in Essex um, with my older sister and my mum and dad. And I just feel like, I don't know why, but I always felt like not quite good enough like compared to everyone else I don't know why I don't know if it's because we were the only family that had like split up I was the only one with a single mum like from the age of sort of 10 or 11 or I don't know what it was but I always kind of felt like I had to prove myself and I don't know where that's come from
0: and was that in the school environment or at home or just in general like this feeling like I need to be someone
1: just I don't know, just, yeah, all the time. I just kind of felt like I had to prove myself that I maybe wasn't good enough or I don't really know. And I know that some people totally don't have that. They grow up thinking I'm amazing and I'm entitled, but I never really grew up like that. Um, But one thing I'm really thankful for is that I was always very, very entrepreneurial from a really young age like starting businesses was my first hobby and (laughs) I just absolutely loved it and I would drag my friends into it and they didn't give a shit and I was just like come on let's start a dog walking business or let's start a babysitting business let's do this and some of them would come along for a week or two and get bored but I was like fucking
0: Alan Sugar out here loving just Just trying (laughs) trying to make some money (laughs) oh my god I love that And so did this coincide, do you think, when your parents split like this, I need to prove myself and be someone? Where did that come from?
1: I have no idea.
0: And do you know what? Maybe it's ancestral
1: because I've done some ancestral healing work and I have really bad migraines. And somebody told me that it is to do with something that happened in my mum's life when she was a child. And so I really do believe that whole, you know, the fact that your egg was in your nan, like you were first formed in your nan, and then that egg goes to your mum. Like I truly believe that all of that vibrates throughout us and there's so many things that my ancestors give ancestors have given me that is great, but also some stuff that is not so great. And I feel like it's my job now to really heal all of that for the future of this line. So yeah, I'm just gonna blame my
0: mum and Nan to be honest. (laughs) oh i love that and were you like upset when your parents broke up was it like traumatic i was jubilant i was (laughs) i had a street party i don't
1: know what's wrong with me but i have never been a fan of men and i don't say that i'm not a lesbian i wish i were oh my
0: god me too i always
1: think that (laughs) I wish I was, but I I can't get past the vagina. That's the same like same I I can kiss. kiss. I can't. Yeah. So so anyway, so when my mum and dad broke up, I was like living my best life. He was always so controlling and so grumpy and so sometimes quite aggressive actually. And none of us were really living our true best lives with him there. But of course you don't realise that at the time because you're growing up, you don't know. But I remember when he left my mum suddenly would, she had all of these friends, she met all these single parent friends with this support group. And all of a sudden my mum who never went out, never went to parties, never got drunk, never really saw her have that many friends really, all of a sudden had this huge friendship circle and this lease of life that I'd never seen before. And we had this woman move in with us to help pay our mortgage. Like she's a French teacher that had come over from Paris. And we just lived like a group of like women in a commune. And it was honestly,
0: I was allowed a hamster. I was living my best <laughs> life. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's, it's like that almost, and obviously this is generalizing with men, but that male ego control like that. And it can be a real cloud and a real weight you know, on that. And especially men of that generation of that era, that is what they knew. And that's what they've, you know, my dad is the perfect example. My mom and dad split up. It took for my mom to turn 61 and my dad was seventy-two when she divorced him. And it was, and it was like this, my mom blossomed. I bet. I bet. You'd never meet a happier woman than a divorced woman. I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, that's what it was at home life like, and then so tell me about school. Were you like always super smart, super clever, like or winning the awards? I did not
1: bother with school one iota. I literally could not care less. I hate any kind of authority. If they tell me I have to turn up, I'm like, who says? The government? Oh shit! Okay. <laughs> I just I think at one point I had thirty percent attendance. And I was one of those annoying people. I almost had like Munchausen where I just had something wrong with me every week. And that continued <laughs> into my employment as well. Like I always had, like, I was going to say chlamydia then. No, not chlamydia. <laughs> I did not have chlamydia at school. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when I was 16, yeah. Um, I just would always have, like, oh, I've got a headache. I've had flu. Sp- I've had a stomach bug. Like I was just that weak Wendy that was just never wanted to come in, was always late, would do anything to get out of going to school, was the same at college, was the same when I went into employment. I started my first job like properly when I was about 18, 19, until I was about 27, I think. And that whole sort of 10 year period, I was the worst employee you've ever met. I just would not turn up. And when I was there, I wouldn't do anything.
0: (laughs) Yeah yeah just, just hate terrible. it, yeah. Just work, I think, yeah, hated it, hated it every minute. And what job was it that you had in that time in this ten year that ten year period? So
1: I trained to be a legal PA and then I just ended up being a regular PA. I used to work for a big betting company and then I spent the majority of my time, there was like this old Indian Lord and he was like in his nineties, one of the wealthiest families in London. And we were all just kind of paid to sit there and not do very much. I think they like traded metal or something. I don't know, but I just had nothing to do. I had to order the pens. I had to order the pens without reception sometimes. So I was given no responsibility Um, And that really does affect your self-esteem and and really now only saying this now, I think all of those years of being forced into a hole that did not fit me, i.e. traditional academic learning. I was the only one out of my friends that didn't go to university. Um, Being forced into a typical nine to five role, like reporting to someone. Again, that's a role that I, I can't fulfill. I can't do that. I was really made to feel like I was kind of good for nothing. And my family all knew like, I never turn up to work. I never turn up to school. I'm going to be a waster. Like, they just wanted me to just hold on to a job. Um, But I think what they didn't ever really recognize was the entire time I was at those jobs, I always had a side hustle. And my side hustles were, many like I used to make flower bikinis do you remember they were like really big on TOWIE back in the day yeah yeah I used to make those bikinis I had an online dog store I had a big e-commerce store for like stuff with dogs Um I was a copywriter I wrote a goddamn book like I had a book <laughs> published whilst I was at my day job wrote 70,000 words in nine months while I was at work um so I always had these businesses but no one ever said to me friend you should go and do that like why are you sitting in a job you hate? You should go and do that. Um, so yeah, my my confidence levels
0: were low because I thought all I could do was all depends. Yeah, of course. And is that, did no one say that to you just because you weren't surrounded by entrepreneurial people? Wasn't
1: surrounded by entrepreneurial people, but also I think the way that I had presented my whole life was she's work shy, she's unreliable, she will do anything to get out of working. So of course, I don't think they ever felt comfortable to say, you should go and work for yourself because they were just thankful I was not on the dole. Like they were just thankful for that. Yeah. And were you living at home at this point? No, so very. So I lived at home until I was about, God, I don't even remember, like maybe like 19 or 20. But my mum's boyfriend and I did not get on at all. And I just felt I could not stay at home anymore. It didn't feel safe to me. So I moved to London and then I lived with like housemates and stuff and then I eventually bought my own
0: flat when I was about 26 I think so which yeah. is amazing oh my god I know, right it was a manifestation yeah absolutely so this whole time you were in this kind of like not so fabulous era of your life did you know about the law of attraction and manifesting then like how did that come into your life yes yeah, so
1: i discovered it probably in about 2000 and five or six, because I remember I manifested writing my book and that was published in 2008. So it was before then. And I remember picking it up like the secret and thinking, this is going to change my goddamn life. I-, I can do anything. But it's interesting how even when you discover the law of attraction, you really do have to work on your limited beliefs. Because I remember back then thinking, I really want to quit my job. But I, it was such a huge thing to me it was so scary that I almost didn't even allow myself to put it as a goal I kept my goals really small I kept things I wanted to be able to do a business whilst I'm at work I want to be able to write a book whilst I'm at work like it was really playing its safe, and so I never allowed myself to really dream big but soon big manifestations were happening and I was like holy shit
0: like this works that's amazing because so many people Uh, That for me was the catalyst for for my whole life, career, and changing and believing that I can. That book changed my life, and I think I I watched the DVD in two thousand and seven from like a not very nice flat share in a not very nice part of the world. I remember thinking I could be someone, and I think the era that we are from. I used to, you know, my background as a performer, and so I used to dream of being, you know like on the stage and screen and and doing those things. But because of where I was from, I never allowed myself to dream that big because that was for other people. It wasn't for people like me. And so with The Secret, it was almost like the first kind of like hook into, actually just because you're from there, that doesn't mean you need to stay there. Well, and um... that was the, it was life-changing. And me and my best friend, we came up with this um, mantra it was like just saying yes to life because he was like, Oh no, I can't afford it. No, we can't do this. Oh no. So he said, Just say yes, just say yes, just say yes, except to drugs. You know, that was, we used to go around. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> we were young. Uh, but we, we, like, and, and now both of us from our families have, from that moment, are living lives that you could never have written for us from yeah. where we're from and you know it's all down to that book but why do you think because there must be millions and millions of people that have read the book or listened to the DVD. why have some people changed their lives because of that and then other people know about it but then don't it makes no difference to them well, I think it's a two pronged thing. Number one, I think I'm quite easily influenced.
1: If you wanted to recruit me into your cult, I'd probably be a good person to start with, because I'd be like, "This sounds great. Okay, I'm not down for the group sex, but okay, sounds great. Like you could recruit me into your cult tomorrow." But I think the other part is, and I have problems with this now, which is when your life is really good, and when or not really good, when, when you're quite comfortable. Be, yeah. I think there's not that motivation to want to really, because it is time and effort and energy to like really learn this stuff and apply it and improve, you know, improve your life. I think that there's not that hunger or drive there to really make it happen. But because I was the only one out of my friendship group from a single parent, I was the only one that didn't go to university. I was the only one that I don't know, you know, couldn't do whatever. I kind of had this feeling of not enoughness and I knew I didn't want to be there, I knew I wanted to change my life and my circumstances were such that I felt like I couldn't go home, I didn't feel safe or comfortable going back to live with my mum and her boyfriend and so the only option really was to make it work. I had to stay in London, I had to make it work and I worry, there's been times in my life now where things get really good where I'm like, oh I'm comfortable now. Like, nothing's that bad. So, like, and I need someone to tell me I'm shit or tell me, like, do something bad to me, <laughs> which is
0: not easy, so that I can find that drive and motivation. Yeah, it's like finding it's so easy to be driven by a negative driver, isn't oh, it's it? The best, it's the best. I <laughs> I just, like that hunger well, to change when you're so focused and everything else just vanishes because you're just, it's yeah. And then you get there, it's just like, oh, and it feels nice. And I totally get that because I'm, you know, only, I'm only doing this podcast. I've wanted to do this podcast for the last eight years. It has been on my vision board. It has been there. But my brother died last October. And, you know, the negative driver of like, I can't lay something I really wanted to do and not do it anymore. It came from that. Yeah. Eight years, you know, and it's, but why do we have to wait for these things to happen to us? It's just, you know, I completely, completely agree with that. So, and to your story. So we've, you've gone through this, you've discovered the law of attraction, you're starting to use it in your everyday life. You write a book. Have you quit the job by then? Nah, I wrote the book while I was at work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what a liberty um yeah no I
1: wrote that while I was there and I really was too scared to quit my job yeah um for a really long time and I don't think I ever would have done it if I hadn't met my ex-husband who I also manifested put this picture on a vision board three and a half years later met him didn't know what his name was didn't know where he lived in the world but met him went on a blind date got married like a year later <laughs> what the actual man not like someone that looks like him The actual, so it's one of my most watched videos on my YouTube channel, and I think that's how a lot of people originally found me, is he's six foot nine, so he's very, very unique. And I was like, I want me some of that. And so I messaged him and he never replied to me because he'd moved to Australia. So so you did know him, like he was, he wasn't just like a cutout of a magazine. No, No, he was on Match.com but lot. you don't have your real name on there or your Instagram or anything okay, okay, like that okay, okay. The day. so I had no way of contacting him um, and he never replied to me so I cut out his picture and put it on a vision board some call that crazy I call no. it smart I call it um, manifesting Yeah, and then it literally it was either two and a half or three and a half years later I don't remember now but my friend's walking along the road and she's never done this to me before no one's ever done it since set me up on a blind date and just before we met up, he said, oh, this is my Facebook uh, in case you want to see a picture of me. Because it was a blind date, right? And it was not the same guy. It was the same profile picture. The same picture.
0: Yeah. Oh, my. How did you feel when that happened? Were you just like, this, this, I'm marrying him, I don't even know There yet. are, do you know what?
1: There are certain moments with law of attraction that take my breath away. I could go into cardiac arrest when they happen because I'm like, floored. Because they're so specific, you can't say it's anything else. And I probably genuinely had three of those in my life. And I remember I nearly fell off my chair. I was at work, and I said to the guys there, "I was like, I'm going to meet my husband tonight. I'm going to meet my <laughs> husband." And literally, like six months later, I was like, "Boom, put a ring on it, bitch!" But yeah, and I did tell him that night. I told him against my better judgment. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: know. Yeah, a few glasses of wine. It's like the, the one thing is like magic. You I was can't like, this not keep, keep that to my husband. <laughs> But yeah. Amazing. Um, and how long ago was this? Well, my daughter's six. So this must have been about
1: nine or ten years ago, maybe. Because we were married for quite a few years before we had children or anything. Um, but, yeah, he was – sometimes people have said to me, do you think that was like a manifestation gone wrong that you you were attracted to this specific person that you ended up getting divorced? Oh, yeah, spoiler alert, we're divorced. Um, like – it, do you think that that was wrong? And I'm like, are you kidding me? If I had married Dave down the road, who I was quite happy with, went on one holiday a year, prodded along with my job, he didn't really stretch me or anything like that, my life would have turned out completely different. This man, he fucking tried my patience but my lord he made me grow more in those years that we were together than anyone ever has and i think ever will and i really do believe people are for a reason or a season and we have really changed each other's lives i think we've both changed each other's lives and if i could go back and do it again i would despite all the difficulty of like getting divorced
0: he made me quit my job he made me set up my business he he was great and what what background did he have? Like, How did he know how to, how did he believe in himself enough to believe in you to do that? So he's kind of similar, actually. He is mixed race and
1: he grew up in a family that, ironically his family were white they were almost a little bit racist and so he always kind of grew up feeling a little bit not good enough you know the nan would never let the dad come to the house and stuff because she didn't want. yeah and then he got a scholarship to go to a private school a very very good private school and he was the only black child there and so being the scholarship kid being black kid like you just grow up with all of these things of like I have to work 10 times harder and that's what I've always been really attracted to. Italy. Yes, so sexy. Um, so he's incredibly self-motivated, incredibly... He's a, I keep saying to him, he needs to be a life coach. Like he's missed his calling because
0: he, he can tell other people what to do with their lives and he's usually right. That's amazing. And so he poured this belief into you and, and just made you believe that actually all the stuff that you knew, that you could make, actually make something more of your life. Was that what happened?
1: Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes it's on a real practical level. So when I was working, I had my flat and what he said to me is, look, let's move into a flat in Shoreditch. I'll pay the rent for one year and you can take the rent from your apartment that you're renting out for one year. So it gives you a little bit of a bolster so that you're not just going from a full time salary to doing spray tan. You know, I was only doing a kind of spray tan business doing a couple of spray tans a week he's like take that rental income and use that year to really set yourself up with a business and there were times where You know, we have really argued about things. I remember when we had our daughter, we had a huge argument because he wouldn't financially support me (laughs) or give me any money when I was on maternity leave. And he was like, no, I'm not giving you any money for maternity leave. You need to sort out how your business can run without you physically there. And at the time, I thought it was incredibly unfair. But now, looking back, I actually... I'm really thankful because he did teach me lessons that will stay with me for life. Um, and I don't get any financial support from, from him. And people sometimes say to me, why do you let him get away with that? And I'm like, do you know what? He changed my life actually. And yes, it was tough love sometimes. And yes, sometimes it was horrible, but um, I'm actually grateful for that. So look, yeah. we'll call
0: it quits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely amazing. And so your, the business that you then set up was spray tanning. Is that right? Yes. Okay, amazing. And how long did you do that for? Oh my God, I did that for years. And I actually say to women,
1: because a lot of people that follow me tend to be women that want financial independence or maybe are trying to like escape relationships, toxic relationships, but they, you know, a very real um, barrier to that is women aren't able to because of finances. Finances, And I always say, Spray tanning is such a great business. You know, I used to earn £130 an hour spray tanning. That's more than a lot of like solicitors and stuff. Um, and it doesn't take you very long to qualify in it. You can pretty much do it from everywhere. If you don't have a space, you can do it from your car. And I just took it, like I do with most things, to the fucking limit. Like I spray tanned live on loose women. I used to have all these celebrity clients. I worked with loads of brands as like their representative. And I just wanted to be the best and then I did win best spray tanner in London two years running. Um, <laughs> Love it. On, I just kicked the ass out of it but I, I loved it. I think if you are doing something that maybe isn't 100% your calling, 100% your passion and I'll be honest doing lashes and tans was not my absolute calling. I think sometimes you have to just think I'm not just a spray tanner i'm not just a lash extensionist i'm a business it's owner only, i get yeah. to be an entrepreneur i get to be a marketer i get to be a social media fucking whatever you want to be personality you get to encompass all of that and make that job whatever you want it to be yeah
0: i love that but isn't it so it's amazing how you went from basically lazy girl can't don't want to do anything don't even want to be there to winning awards and being the best like it just shows that when you have ownership of what you're doing you know if you've got it in you that passion and drive will take you absolutely everywhere and were you practicing the law of attraction in this time and did you have vision boards what was your daily practices kind of around this time so yes i always kind of kept it to the forefront
1: of my mind and whatever i did i always tried to keep law of attraction as a part of my life Um, But I think like with anything, it comes and ebbs and flows. There were times where, I mean, my marriage was very unhappy for quite a few years. And there were times where I just couldn't see the wood for the trees. I couldn't see a way out of my situation, a way out of my life. And I didn't use law of attraction because I think when you're feeling really low, sometimes when you need it the most, you forget it the most and you're just wallowing in your own pit of despair. Um, But yeah, I always kind of kept it. In my mind, and I would always have goals that I wanted to achieve. And I would always have like these little mini manifestations along the way that kind of kept me going. Um, and that was helped by I had a YouTube channel teaching people
0: about it, or not even really teaching, just sharing my with it. But yeah, it was always with me. Amazing. And then that relationship ended. Is that right? Yeah. Hurrah! <laughs> all started. It was great. <laughs> Um, so then you become a single mum. And yeah. then what does life look like from that point forward? Well, what a time to be alive. Well, that was tough.
1: Um, I went from, I was living in the country with my husband at that time. We moved to be close to my family, to have support with my young daughter. And then when we got divorced, kind of all options were kind of taken away from me and I basically moved back to London to be in that little bachelorette flat again one bedroom flat with my daughter and uh it was really tough I had no financial support I was spray tanning and doing lashes two days a week which is when my ex-husband had her so I had two days a week to work and I would and I've only just recently started admitting this to people because I I felt a little bit ashamed actually, and I don't know why, but I used to start work at sometimes six or seven in the morning because people wanted their lashes done before work. Then I would work all the way through till sometimes eleven o'clock or midnight, and I'd have like a little tiny nap in the day or whatever, like a little break. But I would work through till about eleven or midnight. Then sometimes I would actually sleep at my salon on the lash bed because I would Airbnb my apartment for that night because my daughter wasn't there. And I did that for nearly a year and it was savage. But at the end of the year, I kept my flat and I bought a house in the country. So the oh end goal God. was always, I want to get my daughter out of London. I want I want options back again. I want options. I want to be able to live near my family again. I want to be able to have the support. Um, I want to have this life. And it was real sacrifice. And I remember seeing this thing that said, if you do things other people aren't willing to do, you'll get things that other people will never have.
0: That's not the quote, but it's
1: roughly that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But I know that I've lived by that quote. I building my online business, it was like, hell, it was the hardest two years of my whole life. But I was like... But there's people that won't won't see that through. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's because the desire isn't strong enough. I think you've got to
1: have a why. And my why was always, I can't live in a one-bedroom with my daughter forever. I want her to have a sister. I want to move on with my life. I want to live near my family. And so I did that for a year. Um, Wow. And it was savage. And then I also had this thing in the back of my head that was like i don't want it to be an only child i really oh, okay. want another child at this point i was probably like 35 36 so like knocking on infertility's door yeah 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 and <laughs> i just felt a little bit not desperate but I, I was a bit desperate um so trying to fit in dating with that as well was really <laughs> difficult um And I feel like when you're in that situation, you end up going along the easiest path, the path of least resistance. And I ended up dating somebody that was fine. We never really had any massive issues, but there was never really anything there. And it just kind of carried on and carried on and carried on. And before you know it, it's six months and we'd see each other once a week. And then that would turn into like, you know, it'd been a year and it was only after after I'd done that year of hard grass, I bought my house up in Lincolnshire and I moved up here. And I remember he came up to stay with me at Christmas. And I just felt like, What have you contributed to this? And we were talking about him moving in and he bought these mismatching hangers that didn't match my hangers. And I was just like, I don't want these hangers in my house. And he just felt like you or you, it felt like I don't know who you are. And this was after a year of dating. And I realized all of a sudden, I'd never met a single family member. I'd never met a single friend. I had never, I'd been to his house kind of once. And he had met all of my family. He'd met my daughter. He'd been in my home. He'd, you know, seen everything. And I suddenly thought, I don't know who this person is. And I just said respectfully, bah.
0: And then I found out I was pregnant with twins. so after so you said goodbye and then weeks later you found out you were pregnant i feel
1: like in my head i said goodbye then i found out i was pregnant and i was like oh damn and then a couple of weeks after that i was like i can't i can't do this anymore but this was also at the beginning of the pandemic
0: as well so life just turned up everyone wow so you were single mom pregnant living in lincolnshire on your own no support And pregnant with twins how did you even cope oh your whole time oh my god of course
1: the beauty was made illegal and because i just moved to this house i didn't really know anyone i had one friend in the village but you couldn't see anyone anyway and it was horrendous when i look back on that time i just think how
0: how how did we all do it like how i know Um, i know but that what your That is hard. And you lost your business completely. Of course, because everything that you were doing was in person, right? And there's no... It's just, just not not possible and it's not like you could even do it sneakily because you're not in a, an area that you don't even know people that and trust that trust you.
1: No. Yeah, no you couldn't you couldn't really do anything. I lived on a little cul-de-sac as well so people mm. around oh, there yeah, got would be yeah. like twitching. I'm not going in your house. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't even dare. But it was really terrifying because obviously I'd just worked my balls off to buy that house and all of a sudden I had two mortgages, mm. no income and I was pregnant. Oh so goodness. I just, I just didn't know what to do. I read, and it, it, I felt like I was in a race to the bottom. I'd speak to my friends, and I'd be like, "Well, you are okay. You're on furlough. You're okay. You've got a husband. You're okay. You work for the NHS." And I was really in this race to the bottom against everyone to be like, "It's me. I'm the worst of." Like, and and I had a good old pity party for
0: about six months. Yeah, yeah, I bet. So then, what happened when you had your babies? In mind everybody, she has twins. Not just she wasn't just pregnant with one babies, you had twins, like that, I mean, I can't even imagine what you must have felt when you, I mean, incredible, because you have two incredible, healthy little girls, but that feeling of being on your own and that pressure, and now another t- two children adds just so much more pressure. It was without doubt the hardest thing I've ever done in
1: my life. And something that I've talked on a couple of podcasts about is the fact that people gonna have almost like a little mini grief when they find out they're having multiples. Oh, because okay. in my mind I was having a baby. And that's hard enough when you're in a couple, but when there's just one of you to find out that suddenly you're having two babies. And because with my first daughter I, you know, co-slept, breastfed, baby wear, all that kind of stuff, I it was a real logistical um barrier to being able to parent the way that I wanted to parent and I found it incredibly hard I 100% had postnatal depression yeah. that was undiagnosed because no one gives a shit when you've had the baby like especially in a pandemic they're just like okay bye so no one ever really diagnosed it but I remember just feeling oh just awful I just remember feeling I said to my mum when they were probably about four days old I was like if someone just came in and took them now, I'd say, just take them, just take them. I just, I don't want them. Yeah. I found it so incredibly hard to bond with them. I was in agony, I had mastitis. Hot. I couldn't say, it was just, it was awful. Having two babies at once yeah. and having a four-year-old as well to look after was something that, on your own,
0: in isolation. <laughs> and and just... your, the, the dad was not around at all, not even there. So he came and helped like, for the first maybe week,
1: but even after three or four days, he went up to like Scotland and did a couple of days work, and it's like it just feels like such a disparity between what women can oh, do and day what men can started. do. Yeah, you know, on day three after they were born, I was sitting there with mastitis, with an electric toothbrush on my boobs, like crying in pain, just saying, "Please, I just wish someone could take these babies." And I remember the midwife coming round when they like check their weight and stuff, and I was like, "So when um." So when is it that you feel like you really love them? Like, when is that coming? Because with my first daughter, it came and it was incredible. And to be honest, if I'm honest, it never came. That rush never, ever came. And that shocked me to my core. Instead, it was like a really slow love that built and you almost didn't even recognize it. There was no particular point where I could say, oh, okay, now that bond has happened. Um, but I remember when they were little babies, they used to sit in their bouncy chairs and I just used to sing two different songs to them. Um, one was Adele, Make You Feel My Love, and the other one was like Dolly Parton, I was All Always Love for You, because I knew the power of speaking things into existence. And I would sit and I would sing these words, it was like, I love you because I was like, I need to make myself love these babies. And now I recognise, of course, if you've gone through any sort of trauma during your birth or during your pregnancy, and mine was, of course, my whole life was ripped away. My income, my family, my friends, everything was ripped away. You're, of course, going to not bond in the way that you normally would. Um, But, yeah, and eventually now, now I bloody love them, but (laughs) it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, ever.
0: And... How long did it was that period for? Do you, can you remember that? So, it slowly grew, and
1: I remember a defining moment was so during that first year of their lives, I had a big legal kind of issue going on with somebody where they were falsely accusing me of child abuse, child neglect, and basically just coercive control, threatening behaviour. And it eventually went to court when the babies were probably like a year and a bit old, like a year and a couple of months. And when I got to that court and the judge said, "This, these are threats, like this is coercive control because if, you were, if this person was really worried about their welfare, they would have reported it. They would not have just told you repeatedly. When someone validated that all that stuff I'd gone through was real, and I went home and I was like, Your children are not going to be taken away from you. They're not going to be put in care. It's like I went home and I saw them for the first time. It's like I saw them and I was like, I didn't realise that I hadn't let myself love them until then. I didn't allow myself to get too close to them because I thought, what if this person's right? What if they believe them?
0: And
1: it's one of the most terrifying things. And now a lot of stuff I do, a lot of women that follow me have suffered coercive control or emotional abuse particularly around children and i feel like you really attract your listeners without even really having to say it and so many of them if i can educate people to be the architect of their own life control their thoughts and really manage their energy that's my way of helping them Um, and now more and more i work with a charity called mums in need which is the only charity i can find that helps women that are suffering from emotional abuse and coercive control because a lot of them are just not just domestic abuse but yeah and like physical violence yeah. and they don't help as much um, yeah. and so yeah that's kind of my way of trying to give back because that period of my life was the darkest yeah in my life the worst
0: oh god babe and and I think a lot of women don't even know that what they're experiencing is emotional abuse yeah that you know they like, oh well that's just the way he is or he doesn't he's just not happy so that's why he's speaking to me in this way and you know unless and just think you know you knew at this time about the law of attraction about you know the, the power of your mind and you was still that person was still able to put you into that position so imagine and i always think of this like there are w- women out there who have no idea yeah like you know and they're just in this relationship thinking well this is it and never get getting to experience what it could be like to be happy or to be free or to feel, what do I like? You know, what, am I a good person? Oh, well, they say I'm not, so therefore I'm not. You know, and and in my rather business that I have, I, I'm all about, for me, a woman just has to have her own money. You yes. have that money, whatever it is, it, the power that, that gives you that freedom. My mum was with her dad, with my dad, for thirty seven years married she said to me when I was nineteen 1920 but I need to leave your dad he's horrible this is this, this and from that moment forward it took another 16 years before she actually left because she wow. just didn't have any of her own money she was just scared he didn't like her he didn't i didn't, I would never say he emotionally abused her but he didn't speak to her so in a way you know being ignored is a is a kind of form of abuse is, right yeah you know just ignoring you and just like disregarding you and thinking, you know, more than a piece of shit on his shoe, you know, I would never, he's not a bad man, but is, was he a good husband? No, you no. know, and, and women see this. And that's why, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, you're like, I just, I feel empowered by being on my own. I feel empowered by, you know, other women like having that. I completely agree. You know, the conversations that I really have with my girlfriends is never really anything other than he's doing this. It's making me feel like this, this, you know, and, and so us women, there's so many of us doing the work, but what I would love to see is the movement of the men doing, you know, that inner work, the understanding, and, and you know, it's definitely happening, but you know, just the fact that your podcasts and you know, Instagram can reach so many people just by you, sharing your truth is just, you know, it's so, so powerful. I try. I try. (laughs) (laughs) At that darkest point. What happened from there? So, do you know what? I was saying this
1: to good old Fern McCann, who's had a few troubles of her own recently. I said to her, like, the biggest breakdown is always followed by the biggest breakthrough, or, like, the bigger the breakdown, the bigger the breakthrough. And for me, that was definitely the case and I was not really able to use the law of attraction to think my way out of this horrible situation that I was in. I was too far in, I was feeling too sorry for myself. I felt so trapped by it. But what I did do is I started to focus on building wealth and using law of attraction to build wealth. Because we all have areas, right, that are easier or harder to manifest in. Like for me, with love and stuff, I find that really difficult. But for things like money, I find it really easy. So, well, I do now. So I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to focus on money for exactly those reasons that you just said. Particularly as women, particularly as mothers, we have so much freedom and power by having money. You know, back then I couldn't afford legal representation. So I was representing myself. What the fuck do I know? I'm not fucking legally blonde. It was horrendous. Yeah. Um little things like I couldn't afford any childcare. So you're not able to work on your goals or even work to earn any money if you don't have any childcare. So I was not really able to do anything until I started working on my money mindset. And I have a self-development book club, and at the time I was living with my mum and Nan, and as I was going through this period, which thank God, because I was not on my own, Like although a lot of it I couldn't tell them what was going on, it felt like a dirty secret, I was around people, thank God. And we did two money books in a row over this particular summer. I was living with them because I was having a kitchen extension done. And um, I was like, Mum, Nan, I'm reading this stuff about how money is just energy. Like it's nothing, it doesn't exist. And like we can just create as much of it as we fucking want. They were very triggered by these conversations. <laughs> and I was asked through this book, I was asked to like ask my family where their money beliefs came from, why we did certain things as a child, where these things like kind of came from. And they were just very closed to this idea that you could create whatever life that you wanted. And I started saying, kind of jokingly, like, I am a wealthy woman. From now on, I will only identify as a wealthy woman. And we still joked about it. And now, two years later, I sit here, not only the wealthiest woman in my family, but probably the wealthiest person in my family. And it's just incredible. And I truly believe, I know we've spoken a little bit about how and I don't think it's the healthiest habit, I know it, but using really negative emotion to propel you forward for it to be like kind of your catalyst, to be your fuel to change your life. And this situation that I was in really propelled me. I couldn't have got any lower, to be honest. I could not have got any lower. And it really propelled me to change my life. And sometimes that deep inner work, sometimes that working on the hardest thing, you can't do it don't have the bandwidth. You know, I was breastfeeding for 12 hours a day. I was about six stone. I I didn't have the the mental capacity for it. But what I could work on was increasing my wealth. And boy, am I glad I did it because it's just given me so much power and opportunity. And I'm a wealthy bitch now. Yeah, honey. And so what books were they? Do you remember? First one we did was Get Rich, Lucky Bitch by Amanda Francis, closely followed by Denise Duffield Thomas's uh, Get Rich, Lucky Bitch. And they were both incredible. They taught me things that now are just a part of who I am. It's just,
0: it's just who I am. Yeah. And this is the stuff that needs to be taught in schools. You know, don't get me started I on that. That's a whole I... other podcast. But, you know, like, why do we have to be women in our, like, mid-30s just learning this stuff that is just like, it just sets you free for your life and sets you up for life? You know, so knowing this stuff, and so what was the first thing that you did do then? So what you you read the book, you like I'm going to manifest money. What did you do? So one of the first things was just to get very clear
1: on my money. I think a lot of people are not very clear on how much they have, how much they owe, what their outgoings are. I admit I'm still quite terrible with that kind of stuff, but really just starting to pay attention to how much money you have then I think a really powerful thing to do is a highly symbolic gesture to the universe. So I was trying to just do my accounts myself and all my bookkeeping myself. And I got a bookkeeper, somebody that I was paying. So I was like, damn, I better start earning more money to pay this woman (laughs) and to give her something to be doing. Um, So doing something highly symbolic like that um, and starting to just live like a wealthy woman. So I would start to buy things that made me feel wealthy or rather eliminate things that made me feel poor. So a lot of people tend to start with like old underwear or bed bedsheets um, and just have daily luxury in your life. And if you are at the stage where you can't even afford that, a great thing to do is to clear out your car. So your car is probably quite nice, but if it's full of shit, as mine mostly is, and like dirty and you've got crisp packets on the floor and your children are fucked shit up in there. Actually, just going to get your car cleaned and having it empty and having it, that can feel like you've got a brand new car. And the same with your house, you know, changing furniture around, clean, declutter. You don't have to always spend money at the beginning to really start to put things into motion. Uh, so yeah, that's I started doing all of that. Then we worked on energetic set points that was wild it's far too much to go into here but basically deciding how much I allow myself to earn I didn't realize that I'd always put a limit on how much I kind of had in my bank account and it didn't matter what I did it always was within these two parameters and all it took me to say actually I'm moving my energetic set point higher and boom it just happened you know it used to be i'd never have more than three thousand pounds in my bank account now it's like three hundred thousand and that's really just been through a process of saying i need to up level and the thing is is you obviously don't go from three thousand to three hundred thousand like that because that doesn't feel believable but you start incrementally and you say okay what feels slightly out of reach I could do it if I really tried and you're like okay 50,000 never had 50,000 in my bank account like let's see if we can do it and then you go up from there um sorry I feel like I'm talking loads now but also no, I
0: love it oh god it's so good <laughs> what book's so my- that by the way what book would that be in do you know you remember it's both of them I think maybe both of those
1: okay But also like celebrating your wins. So I decided that when I reached 200,000 pounds in my business bank account, I would get myself a Cartier bangle engraved with 200,000 pounds on the inside. And I did it. And it just felt like such a fucking boss move. Like this was energetic. Did I really want that bracelet? Not massively, but it was just to prove a point. I wanted to look at that engraving and be like, I made that. I created that. Um, and it's really just gone from there. I feel so passionate
0: about money. I could talk about it
1: all day long. All day and long. It's financially,
0: how did you earn the money? Was this from the, did you start podcasting in that point, in that time? Yes. So I started podcasting when I was pregnant because I truly had nothing else to
1: do. I pointed my kitchen pink. That was it. I had nothing else to do. So I started the podcast then. And do you know what's interesting is to this day, I still don't really earn any money from podcast. No one wants to sponsor me. Um, No one really wants to work with me. Like I don't have management. I don't have PR. I don't have anything. So I had to find other ways to monetize the podcast. So To begin with, it started off very, very crudely. And in the lockdown, when you could go to like some shops I would go out and I would buy like if say like home bargains had a notebook that had like a gratitude quote on it I would buy like 20 of them and then I would pick all these different little bits and I would create these manifesting boxes and sell them and like I probably only made like six pound profit on each one or something but it was just something to stop me going fucking crazy because I was in this winter lockdown with these babies that I still wasn't bonding to and that was incredibly painful and it just gave me something to do just something to physically do um and after that i started my book club which is just a patreon private um podcast and we do a different self-development book every single month and it's 10 pounds a month um but i now have over three thousand members so let's do the math bitches quick math thirty pound a month like it's wild um but it's not inaccessible but it's, to, it's not yeah it's too, yeah. It's,
0: no it's 10 pound yeah it's 10
1: pounds yeah. um and then I also have a website where I sell like subliminals I sell products I do like planners and stuff I sell gratitude necklaces um but yeah that's it really I make
0: all of my money from um not directly actually the podcast, podcast which is yes. crazy yeah but it's the the community that you've built from the podcast buying into you because you are just everyone, like literally from this podcast, I'm like, oh my God, I really want you to come to Vita. I really want to hang out. I really can't I can. wait to take you. Yeah, <laughs> Yes, yeah. So I've got these kids clubs that we get because you just have that and and that quality you can't buy. You can't put that on. That is, it's just like that likability factor and people want to support you. You know, you're giving so in your podcast, you're giving so much away, which is for free, you know, because people are listening to a free podcast. So they want to be invested in you and and support you in that way—that is just incredible. So here we are. Oh, I've just—I've just listened that you've got a pool, a swimming for Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my God. And it's difficult, you know.
1: It's difficult to start being this single mum where I was like, oh, I've you know, up until three months ago, I was sharing a bedroom with my daughter because we didn't have enough bedrooms. And now I've just bought my dream house. I'm having a kitchen extension. I'm putting a pool in my garden. Um, it's difficult and it still sometimes sort of feels, oh, are people going to hate this? But what I have to remember is I'm teaching this to
0: people. Yeah.
1: I have to. I still need the evidence.
0: It.
1: Yeah. yeah, And that's the thing. I, they don't want me to be living badly and it not to be working. So I have to kind of keep showing them like anyone can really do this. And I've only ever had. One negative comment, and it wasn't even really that negative, but somebody said, Does anyone like feel like the only people that are like really, really rich and winning are the people that are teaching law of attraction and they're selling these courses that are like $2,000 or something? And I could see where she's coming from because there are a lot of law of attraction coaches that do that, and I don't class myself. As a law of attraction coach, and no, a podcaster. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. None of my stuff is more than like thirty quid or something. Like I keep things very accessible. But I had to say to her, "Do you know what? No. Like when I was a single mum with no financial support, only two days a week to be able to work, I not only kept my London flat, but I bought a house in the country for my child. Although I was working really hard those two days a week, don't feel sorry for me. I still had Shortage House membership. I was on that rooftop pool, fucking Monday today. <laughs> So yeah. it's like, no, it's not because I'm a podcaster. That's just an excuse. You're trying to make a reason why it's not happening to you. You can do this whether you have a beauty business. You can do this whether you're a podcaster, if you're an actor, if you're a, you know, there's a family live near me that work in waste disposal. They are the richest motherfuckers you'll ever meet. They live in a golf course. Like, waste disposal. So, When people say that, I think it's just you're trying to deflect why it hasn't happened to you yet. So anyone can do this. Anyone can be a rich
0: bitch. Yeah, absolutely. And I, there's something that I was listening to on your podcast. I can't remember the word. Where, God, what's it called? What's the thing that you've recently just discovered and you're doing? Oh, my God, because you give yourself a holiday. I was like, right, this is so... So you give yourself a holiday because you needed to... And I related to this so much, I, was like, I have to speak about this. You needed to create space to be bored to create again. Yeah. yeah. And I heard that and it was like, literally like an arrow through my heart. I was like, oh my God, that, you know, and this won't apply to everybody. You know, if you're on that beginning of your journey, don't create space, you know, yet. But if you're, you know, you're like driving your business, you know, you're in a position where, you know, you've been going, going at it, let's say, for a few years and you're thinking right, what's next for me you've got to get bored again to be able to create what is next and yes. so I know you've just had your holiday haven't you you've had did you I have had a... two weeks
1: of doing absolutely nothing and it was cool I mean I still had to look after my children so it wasn't a complete break but <laughs> and
0: did you come up with what's that called what was that called that I could I
1: swear, they X. do call it in a monthly cycle they call it a fertile void but like oh, a my. a
0: productive procrastination i don't, I don't know, know. There's no <laughs> <possible potential. laughs> i was like i can't remember now but what have you come up with what's next for you you, know, Do you, you never you've, some- you've so wild it's like before i took
1: this break i felt so overwhelmed and so stressed because i see a lot of people in this industry that don't have children that are able to just work on this all the time and make reels and i'm like Oh, I'm trying to do it all in like a day, a week. And I found myself just feeling this feeling of lack, like there's not enough time, there's not enough energy, there's not enough of me. And I just was like, take a break, take two weeks off, do absolutely nothing. My mental health was really suffering. I just, physically I was suffering. I really lost my voice for about two months. Like it, just everything was suffering. And I was like, I'm taking this break to do absolutely nothing. Some people were like, oh, you're going on holiday? No are you doing no i'm doing absolutely nothing and it was really interesting to just stop and i saw this thing that said um a real test of trust is to be able to just step away and to be like it's gonna be fine it will be there when i come back and it will be better than ever and you know what's wild is like so many opportunities fell into my lap during that time mrs hinge fucking dm me being like (sighs) I love your podcast she put it on her stories a couple of times like absolutely loves it wants to meet up wants to have lunch then um i've had loads of great guests on the podcast like loads of great guests um that like i could only sort of dream of um i got my first speaking gig like being paid to go and do a 45 minute speech, which was one of the things in my goals this year i was like i really want to do more like workshops events speaking all that kind of shit that happened twice. I went and did my first one in Shoreditch House with this amazing group of women, met loads of people that were totally beneficial to this industry. A woman there was a TV producer. She's like, oh, let's have lunch. I'm going to help you like with TV stuff. So all the stuff that before my break, I'd been hustling, hustling, hustling. I was just like, oh, it's just coming to me and I'm doing nothing. So I really learned a lesson from that to... Um, I saw this thing on Instagram that said, you've got to eat what you're cooking. And I was like, God, I'm telling people all the time, like you need to live cyclically and you need to give yourself a rest. But I was not giving myself a rest. I wasn't practicing what I preach. And so this has really taught me to do that. And also, now I remember before I had children, those beautiful days where you'd go on holiday and I used to always go on holiday and not have my phone. Do you remember when you'd like, you'd have to turn your phone off, like your data off because there was no... like. like 300
0: pound yeah a day
1: (laughs) so I used to have a week no phone no contact with like people at home and I tell you what by day five I was on the edge of the pool with a notepad or like a fucking napkin that someone had given me writing down business ideas and I really missed that thing because I don't ever have a chance to stop you know I've got three fucking children I don't have a chance to stop and so I think everyone can create a little bit of space even if it's just do you know what it's little things like don't take your phone into the toilet with you. Don't take your phone in the shower. Give your brain just that bit of space. Don't listen to a podcast whilst you're cooking dinner. Just let your mind get a bit bored. Let your mind get a little bit quiet and you'll be amazed
0: at what comes. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened to me. So last October, within a week, my brother died and I also had a full mummy makeover. I went to Turkey. Oh. I had boobs, tummy tuck, 360 hoe, BBL. <laughs> everything. What's BBL? BBL. So I had <laughs> l- the fat that was taken out of me uh, a bit put back into my bum to make it a bit more juicy. Like amazing. Yeah. And but the mental downtime and physical downtime for that, the off for like six weeks to eight weeks was hell, you know, and because the pain in my body, obviously it was self-inflicted, but I didn't realize it's going to be that much. But then also, you know, the, the feeling of like the grief, the why, the this. That period, I can look back now and say, was, will be the biggest transform- transformative period of my life because I did nothing. I couldn't move. I, you know, at half track, when you have a tumour, tuck, you couldn't sit up. My whole body was in pain from the liposuction. I was like, uh uh ah, uh, and I just lay there and felt sorry for myself. But my brain had a little rest for the first time it it ever. It- yeah. And all these ideas and my and my self-confidence came back in my ability to create again. I thought, you know, since having my children and my life so dedicated to my little girls and being so full on with that, it was like, oh, that part of Nicola, that entrepreneurial part of Nicola, the person that creates that is gone, really. What well, you know, she's not um, going to come back because that's my life now. And they went to school. I had the operations. And it was like, like this, huh? And after Christmas, you know, the Christmas period, I got the feeling back. I could see the results. The grief was subsiding. It was like the bitch is back, and that's a fact. I was like on fire again. Yeah. But you only get that
1: with that rest break,
0: yeah. Yeah, you only get that with
1: that break. And and I think that's so hard for mums, especially, a lot of women, to find that, like kind of create that space to be able to... You want to get bored.
0: You just want to get bored. Like that's the goal really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Francesca, what is next for you? Where? What is your vision now for the future? Just to be the baddest bitch alive. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm already
1: doing that. No, um, do you know what? My number one thing always has been and always will be is to spend as much quality time with my daughters as i can yeah, yeah. that is the reason why i do everything to be able to give them amazing experiences for us just to live our best lives and whether that is having a pool put in the garden which is ridiculous or like taking them on holiday like that's just like the main thing for me so there are so many things i want to do but i have to always keep in mind that i'll never get this time back and so yeah I have to, like, curtail my uh, my ambitions a little bit. <laughs> I really want to do more, like, live speaking. I've only done it once so far. Did you love it? I loved it. I was terrified, but I loved it. And I really want to have my own event. And this is something that yes. hopefully, is going to happen this year. Um, but I really want to do that because my listeners are incredible. And I know everyone says that, but... They truly are. Like, I genuinely don't get trolls. I genuinely don't get negative comments. Like, I can remember the one negative comment I've ever had. And they are incredible. And when I meet them out and about, they're always a fucking vibe. And I'm like, can you imagine if you could have a couple of hundred of them in the same place. Like I think it would be incredible. So that's something I really want to make happen this year. I really want to write my second book about something I'm actually proud of, the law of attraction. Um, So that's something that I keep procrastinating on, um, but I'd really like to do. And just to, basically just to grow the podcast. Like I always say, I'm not a law of attraction coach. I don't want to do one-to-one coaching. I don't want to do fucking masterminds. I I don't want to do all that shit. I want to be a podcaster. And it just so happens that I love talking about self-development. I want to empower more and more women to realise they can be the architects of their lives. If you are in a situation, and I think the reason so many women do kind of resonate with me is when I started this podcast, you couldn't really find someone in a worse situation. And really, I have managed to turn it all around, but I'm not unique to that. Anyone can do it, so long as they have the right information, the right tools and the right drive. And so, you know, that is my... I guess my biggest calling is to make women realize that they have the power, they always had the power, and that we just need to harness it and exercise it and just start living our fucking best lives. Because there are so many women that maybe even listening now, they'll be sitting there in a relationship thinking, oh, I can't get out of this because, you know, it's his name on the mortgage or can't get out of this because I haven't been working for five years or whatever it might be. but that is really like why my, my biggest goal is just to change their lives. And you know what? My, both of my grandmothers had quite horrendous lives in different ways, you know, went through wars. My German grandmother, she had to walk through Prussia to like escape the Nazis and her parents gave her a gun and said, she had a younger sister with her and they said, if the Nazis capture you, shoot your sister and then shoot yourself because what they will do to you will be far, far worse. Than shooting yourself. And do you know what? Whenever I do anything incredible, if I go to like amazing events or whatever, I wear both of my grandmother's wedding rings on my finger because I'm like, do you know what? This is how far we've come. Like we are we're moving forward, bitches. We're breaking ancestral trains. We are getting rid of that trauma. And my daughters hopefully will have an incredible
0: life and and it will just continue. So that's what I'm trying oh, to do. God, yeah. <laughs> and and you are absolutely doing it. I have got goosebumps you know, and, and also I just, what an era to be alive in that this is even possible. Like sometimes yeah. we forget that, you know, that we are, I'm in Spain, you're in the UK, we're able to do podcasts, we're able to put content out there. We are women also living in a country where women are liberated, that we are able to have a voice. Like just how, you know, instead of thinking, oh, what's actually not working for us or what can't happen. It's like, just look at what what is going on. Oh, you know, our way so far. So I couldn't agree, could not agree more. And let me just touch on because I know that people will be listening, going, but what about, you know, if you're so good at manifesting, how have you manifested a divorce? And how have you manifested, you know, the the not so the twins' dad? What what is your do you want to manifest a perfect partner? Do you believe in that? Is that something that you even on your radar? Are you like, I've got my children, I'm just done? So The
1: thing is, and people often ask this, we all only have a certain amount of time and energy to dedicate to manifesting and improving our lives because it does take time and energy. It takes dedication. It takes commitment and doing something every single day, not just doing it once. And the reality is, I am a single mum. I've got three young children. I need to earn money. I still try and have a social life and be a good friend. I try to do all of these things. Um, and there's only so much time and energy. And I'll be honest, if I was gonna sit there and be like, right, tonight I'm gonna listen to a subliminal and visualize my soulmate, or I'm gonna listen to a subliminal about success, wealth, like <laughs> I'm sorry, but my career excites me a hell of a lot more right now than that. So I just don't feel called to find a partner right now, and as much as I would, I know that I've got a lot of love blocks that I need to work through. But that time takes that takes time, and that takes energy, and I just don't have it right now. I don't have the desire enough to do it. Also, I don't think it helps that I keep watching loads of like murder documentaries, and it's always whenever children like get killed or something, it's always like the mum has met some boyfriend and then the boyfriend has like warped her mind and then they like decide to kill the kid because he cried. And I just think, Jesus Christ, like I just, I don't know. And I know that that's just negative thinking. Uh, You know, I also have a thing of like, what if I date? And then they're like, oh, she's got three daughters. Right. I'll hook her in. I'll be dear John or whatever that documentary was, where like pretend to be someone else. So, again... I'm not the perfect manifester. I know that these are not perfect thoughts, but I have a lot of fear and limiting beliefs around love and introducing someone into my children's lives. And so at the moment, I just don't feel kind of bothered. A
0: dick appointment, that would be nice. Regular. <laughs> I love that. But that's yeah. a different story. But that's a whole different story. That's yeah. an in and out story, see you later maybe another day but it's not a it's not an emotional commitment and i i agree it's like in the seasons of my life it's like my business has been building and i've been focusing on that all my relationship has been building and my business has kind of taken a back seat and Um, therefore earned less money for sure well
1: do you know what relationships aren't easy right and there are so many women myself included that have had so much of their mental bandwidth taken up with is he annoyed with me are we still arguing about that thing oh good like even if it's not a toxic relationship just a regular relationship it takes up so much of your bandwidth and your energy that you don't have time to work on your goals you know when I was in an unhappy marriage I very rarely worked on my goals or worked on creating my dream life because I was just trying to sort of survive and navigate through this relationship and so yeah you've really got to sort of prioritize what you want and and you're right. Like that does take up energy, and I'm kind of in the position where if someone demanded even an iota of my time or energy, I'd be like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah. If like I've got any time or energy, it's going on first of all my daughters, second of all my business, and third of all my family and friends. So you've got to be a pretty remarkable guy with a big dick to
0: come along and be like, change these girls' priorities. Yeah, and also <laughs> just to be like, I love you for who you are, and I'm here to support you. But I'm here, like in the background, to whisk you off on a lovely day and then just put you back. Not demand mm-hmm. anything from you. I know, not wanting guys... to
1: the mismatching hangers in your bloody dressing room.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that person's out there. And but also, I feel like even if they're not, and I can only say this now, and I hope this message goes to women. Once you've had, you know, I was so desperate. I used to cry. You know, knowing all the right, the law of attraction, I'd put, it was always about putting my dream man on my dream vision board and manifesting him. But now I have my children. It's not really, you know, I am in a relationship. It's not even about the man anymore. It's about me and my children creating the life. If a guy is there, great. If he's not great, who cares? Yeah. cares? And so to, for those women, and I'm speaking to my, basically my 30 year old self, just give yourself a break. You know, like it, that man is not the be all and end all. But when I was 30 and I was single and I was like scrolling people's pages, going, Where's it going to be my turn? Oh my God, I just want to be in love. Thinking that that would make me complete and make me happy and make me whole. I have never been more complete and whole since having my children and building uh, in a multi million dollar business. That has made me who I am today. That has made me feel sexy, whole, empowered, and given me the balls to live my life fully no man I don't believe can ever do that they can support you and show you that but they're not going to do that for you so yeah this is my little while we're on that subject that's your little um, TED talk yeah my little TED talk oh my god you're just so good at a TED talk I'm going to get to TED talk that's on my goal list yeah, it's on
1: my goal list I, but I think feel like as well you kind of you definitely manifest your life and when I was younger I always imagined myself being a single mum with daughters I don't know why Did you? I just yeah. always imagined it and something else I've always imagined and it's not that I want it to happen this is just what I've always thought would happen is when I get to like my 50s, maybe, I'm not really sure, but when my daughters are maybe all going to university, I feel like I will meet the absolute love of my life and we will go travelling, we will live in India for six months. Yeah, We will just have this incredible autumn stage of our lives yeah. just being amazing. And I look forward to that yeah. and I don't feel any fear of like, when's it gonna happen? I'm just like, I'm here for today. Yeah. My daughters are my
0: soulmates over and out tinder (laughs) yeah 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 exactly oh i just love it thank you so much for such an amazing eye-opening conversation in closing Francesca, i'm going to ask you this is a question i ask every single guest the, the question is what advice would you give to your younger self
1: oh lord i would just say to really Do the work on yourself and invest in yourself. Because all of that time and energy in my 20s, like you, investing in trying to find the perfect man that was going to fix your life and make you a wife and make you a mother. Do you know what? You can get knocked up on Tinder these days. You don't need a husband. Um, You don't need to wait for someone else to live your dream life. You can completely create the life of your dreams and don't be scared of your goals. And I say that as a total hypocrite because remember I was saying back then, I was like, I was too scared to actually say out loud, I want to quit my job because I I couldn't say it because it just felt too big and too scary. Well, even now, as I sit here now, my my listeners will know this, like my real dream is to move to California or somewhere. I don't really know. I think it's California, but it feels so impossible because, you know, there's dads here that need to see their children and there's just a whole host of things it feels really impossible but what i've learned is you don't need to think about the how you just need to know what inside your soul strikes something where you're like oh i really like that and just honor it and just be like okay that's fine i don't need to think about the how i don't need to stress about it i don't need to push it down and say that's not real but just be like okay cool that's what i want
0: and and i would wish i'd had more um, courage to do that when I was younger. Yeah, and, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, because it's true. We all get. I call them visions. I've had this vision. I've had this vision. Like I just see pictures in my mind that I don't know where they come from, but it's my intuition giving me the image of what's possible, even when it seems like a million miles away from my life and reality and everything.
1: Yes, and it has a real definite feeling. Like I have this vision where. I'm on like this outdoor sofa round a pool and it's definitely Southern California. It might be Silver Lake. It might be LA. I don't know. <laughs> and I just feel it and it's dusk and my husband's cooking a barbecue and I'm like, oh, this is where I was supposed to be. Yeah. And it's
0: the bizarrest and thing. And it just comes in and it's just there. And it's and I had that about Ibiza. You know, I came here when I was like 15. And, really? in, and in that moment, when I was 15, it was like tingles through my body, bringing in my mind, I don't know what any of that kind of stuff was back then. But it was just like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I moved here two years ago almost. Um, So what, 15 years later. But even when it, those nights when I was breastfeeding, it was freezing cold in England. I was up in the middle of the night. I would be on, what's called Idealista, which is basically the equivalent of Right Move, but here in Spain, looking at villas in Ibiza, just like going one day, one day, one day. What made you suddenly do that? It was lockdown. My business went online and it was like, actually I I don't need to be in England anymore. I can really do this online. And I, you know, just being in, this is the weather bottom line. You know, there's nothing more sexual than a palm tree and a blue sky. You know, and I can see the beach from my office. I can walk to there from my house. You know, you're just, it's, and if you keep seeing those, visions no matter who you are it doesn't have to be about where you're going to live but it can be about children i always knew i was going to have girls there's no part of me that even entertained the idea of having boys even, oh you know but you just don't know i was like oh i just know i just know because when i picture myself with children it's girls and of course i had girls so there wasn't like oh my god so of course i was overjoyed but there was no surprise because i just I, i've been able to see in my I mean, my mind's eye, or whatever it is that's showing me, but I believe that everybody has those, and it's just paying attention to that and knowing that that is, you know, your you can't dream things up that aren't possible for you. Your body, I don't believe, would manage, would put these visions in front of you if if there wasn't part of your part of your being that believed it wasn't possible. Yeah, yeah. So if 100%. you can see it, it's like that. What dream, believe, achieve? There yeah. You know that. So, yeah. And also, we're also unique with that. So, like, you really
1: do need to kind of honour it because there'll be people that are like, all I dream of is being the next president of the United States. So it's me. I'd be like, I would rather die than that." So, like, we all want such different things. I think that is like such a sign of why when you have something like this speak to your soul, you're like, I need to listen to it because and you don't need to do anything about it. You just need to be like, okay, I accept it because I never accepted mine. I never uh, accepted that yeah. I could
0: not have a job. And yeah. it was so easy. So easy once you do it. Yeah, once you, did it. Yeah, you do it. Yeah. Oh, Francesca, I could speak to you for hours and hours and hours. It's been the biggest pleasure. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. And I just I just know that this is the beginning. You know, what I'm listening to you, it's like I'm listening to someone who is like 20 years into their career. But you're it's just literally years ago, which is like a matter of months ago that you really started this and what you have created in such a short amount of time is just absolutely remarkable, so inspiring. And I just know that so many of our listeners listeners are gonna take so much away from this. So if you do wanna get in contact with Francesca, please in the show notes, everything is below join her book club i'm going to be joining that book club cannot wait to be listening to her every single do you do weekly podcasts in that book club no it's every two to three days sometimes oh, we wow. do books every day a little chapter okay. oh my god i'm there i'm there can't wait thank you so much you are a legend thank Over you bye